Good morning. Walking up, I heard a little dude over here say they played my song. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. That's good. It's good to sing. Christ has defeated every sin. Cast all your burdens now on him. Amen to that. Uh, I do have a quick update uh, concerning uh, our global outreach offering. Last week, we mentioned that we hit our mark. and We went beyond our mark, in fact. We were hoping to raise $5,000 for the wood-burning stove initiative through Mission Eurasia, a very tangible way to bring good to people that also opens the door to spiritual good and opportunity to share the gospel for global outreach partners in Poland and Ukraine and that area of the world. And so we had said last Sunday that as of uh, the Friday prior, we were at $6,000 of our $5,000 goal. And we were closing it up this week. We were raising funds for the month of January. And between me announcing that last week and to me announcing the update today, uh, we have now raised 12000 That's great. So that's pretty cool. Appreciate your generosity, appreciate your heart to support our global outreach partners in this initiative, and may God use these wood-burning stoves to bring about gospel conversations with those that are in a hard and hurting part of the world. All right, that's good news. Let's continue on with some good news, and let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We've been slowly working through the initial start of this chapter, knowing that it's, it's moving into the application of what we believe in light of gospel doctrine, applying that into the life and culture of a church, how it shapes the culture, what we believe shapes how we live, if you will. It informs it. It brings fuel to it. It sweetens it, and it stabilizes it. It gives it strength and steadfastness, and it, it brings a security to it, and and it builds camaraderie and togetherness. And so my hope is as we move through this initial start into chapters 4, 5, and 6 that we are encouraged in that way. Today we're going to consider the gospel growth in the church. So we have been looking at gospel unity in the church. We considered the gospel purpose of the church. And we are now looking at the gospel growth in the church. So we're going to look at verses 14, 15, and 16 to round out this initial thought that the Apostle Paul is pressing down in light of what we believe to be true of God and all that he has done for us in the gospel, how it shapes us. So let's read verses 14 through 16. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. God, as we consider your word today, we pray that you, by your spirit, would be at work and be present in our hearts, present in the preaching and the hearing of this, your word to your glory, we pray, and to our good. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
If you, ever, if you have ever desired to make changes to your lifestyle, to incorporate a healthier or more intentional habit, you probably felt a bit overwhelmed. Where do I even start? You might have thought. And like with anything and everything, you started at Google. The search results gave you a dizzying array of options that all seem to contradict each other. Eat this, one site says. Do not eat that, the next one says. Do this exercise program for a healthier you. Or this one that gives you six-pack abs in six weeks. Work your core. It's dizzying. And what's right for you? And all of them, as you look and read and scroll and get into the fine print, every single one of them will tell you the same thing. Go see your doctor. Like you're going to do that. (laughs) But under that overwhelming feeling is still a desire to be healthier. Maybe you felt this way about your faith. Maybe you felt this way about following Jesus. Maybe you've desired it, but it just felt so overwhelmed by what, where do I even start? Well, here's some good news. We have some very simple, straightforward instructions for being a healthy, growing church. And you and I, we can be a part of a healthy, growing church. And that we would embrace this together. As we get the instructions from our good doctor, instructions for the soul of our hearts or our lives and our church, that we would embrace the outcome of this instruction. And the outcome of Jesus' purposes for the church are that we would see that as we've moved through this chapter and as we see here in our passage, that gospel doctrine stabilizes our faith. And we would see this, that the gospel doctrine, the things that we hold tightly to, stabilize our faith. Secondly, that the gospel culture we are a part of helps us grow. The gospel culture helps us grow. And then so from that, this gospel growth that is produced when we are stabilized by gospel doctrine and see gospel culture shape the life of our church, helping us grow, this gospel growth Puts on display a healthy church. Notice it doesn't say perfect church. It doesn't say, you know, giant mega church with all the bells and whistles. It says healthy. Healthy can look like a different, a whole bunch of different things. Our desire and our hope is to be a healthy church. So let's walk through these three verses and let's desire that and let's Pursue it. Let's embrace it. Let's ask God for it for us here at Trinity. If Trinity is your home, I pray that you are taking these things seriously and desiring these for us as a church family. If you're still wrestling with what you will call your church home, we pray that that these will prompt you all the more to be a part of a church that takes this seriously. So let's first consider that gospel doctrine stabilizes our faith stabilizes our faith. Look again back at verse 14. 
So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. When we believe rightly, when we believe biblically about who God is and what God has done and what that means for us, the church, and how we are to live that out as we are growing at understanding those things and holding tightly to what the Bible reveals to us about the character of God, about his goodness and grace, about the sufficiency of the gospel for the people of God, how it shapes us to go about being the church that we've been considering these last few weeks It stabilizes us in a couple of ways. One, it stabilizes us for maturity. It stabilizes for maturity. So the the first imagery that the Apostle Paul gives to get our heads around this is the idea of no longer being children. No longer children, it says. Now, let me just go ahead and qualify, especially for the rows that are up here toward the front. Children aren't bad. Don't be bad children now. But children aren't bad. Being childish when you're a grown-up is the concern. Children aren't bad. Being childish when you're grown is. That means we can think of that in life. Um, Just man-child, you know. That's choosing to be that and choosing to be single, right? Yeah. Okay, that was a joke. Um, Yes. But it can also mean that for our faith, right? That we should be further along, we might think. But then you might think, well, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to have a childlike faith? Which is it? Well, let me clarify a couple of things. Yes, we are to embrace a childlike faith. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. Jesus speaking, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Think about that imagery. Genuine, vulnerable, honest, trusting God like a, like a child does with his or her parent. Of course, we are to have a childlike faith that is vulnerable and trusting of God. Childlike is not the same as childish. Hebrews chapter 5 Verses 12 through 14 is sort of a, 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 a sister passage to what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4. He says, the author of Hebrews says, You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So what we're really looking at is what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4 is that it's, it's important to be in a culture, in a context, in which is going to help you grow up. Because not growing or maturing in your faith is going to put you in some precarious situations in this life. To not grow and to not mature is going to, to put you in a state of subjective and objective immaturity. And so when the trials or temptations of life come your way, and they will... They will knock you down or drag you off. The concern here is to not be in a place in which surface level or shallow grasp of the faith or the experience of the faith is the norm. Because a surface level or shallow grasp of the faith or experience of faith can leave us vulnerable to the waywardness of our hearts. 
can leave us vulnerable to misunderstanding the difficulties of life or leave us vulnerable to the distractions of bad teaching or, or just the distractions of the world. And so we need to be in a place in which we can grow up in our faith, that we can grow up in our understanding of who God is and what he has done for us in Christ, that we can be growing no matter how long we have been growing up. So gospel doctrine stabilizes for maturity. Now the next imagery, Paul shifts from child sort of imagery into seafaring kind of imagery. And so it's, it's not only stabilized for maturity, but it also stabilizes with protection. The gospel doctrine, the things that we believe, stabilize us with protection. We, we get this imagery of winds and waves. That, that the scene of someone getting tossed around and carried about. It gives the imagery of a surging storm in which you are powerless to handle it. And what Paul wants us to see here in Ephesians, in this whole letter in which he wrote uh, to the churches that are in the Ephesian, Ephesus region, is that gospel doctrine, the things that we are believing about God that we just spent those three chapters looking at, they are to be for us an anchor that stabilizes us when the storm, winds, and waves blow and come crashing down. It stabilizes us when it gets stormy. What are these stormy conditions? Well, the Apostle Paul mentions three. First of all, he mentions the stormy conditions of false doctrine. Things that are being held up to us as true, but really they're not. That it sounds close enough to the truth, but upon closer examination, it is either bad or false. How would you know if something like that were floating around, if you will? Well, I'll give you a particular kind of caution flag. If there's a book that you're reading or if there's something that you're listening to or, or conversations that you're having in which there's a whole lot of talk about God but never any reference to Jesus. There's your caution flag. God can be very generic and could mean a lot of different things. But Jesus certainly narrows that down. What are some other stormy conditions that Paul is mindful of? Well, he says here, watch out for human cunning. Human cunning. The word there for human cunning is the same word to describe loaded dice. Just sort of in the everyday vernacular in, the, in Paul's day, it would have been used to describe loaded dice or somewhat of the, the dark underbelly of the gambling scene. And it's just sort of a bait and switch. Let's be careful. In the history of the church, there's teaching that arises. That's essentially bait-and-switch teaching. It says, if long as you give to X, you'll get Y. Give to X, and you'll get Y. If you're not getting Y, then you're probably not giving enough to X. So he says, watch out for that. Gospel doctrine stabilizes our, our faith. It, it helps us be more mature, and it offers us protection. It can help us be anchored when wrestling with these kinds of things. And then thirdly, it says deceitful schemes. And it's an imagery of setting a trap or lying in wait for self-seeking gain. It's essentially applying the get-rich scheme 
but applying that to faith. And these stormy kinds of conditions are, are something that, that the church has faced throughout its existence. It shows up in different ways and, and in different words and in, in different kinds, but it's still at the heart the same kind of storm. And the best way to weather those storms is to hold very tightly to the gospel doctrine. Some of those stormy conditions for us today might be things that say you have to contribute to your salvation. That, that Jesus isn't quite enough. He did most of it, but you've got to add a little bit too. Other things that are said today that drift us off, if you will, or seek to carry us off is to say, you're not necessarily dead in your sin, Ephesians 2. You're just drifting. Not being honest about our real condition. Therefore, vague about the sufficiency of Christ. The goodness of God to make us alive. The grace that we so delighted in, in Ephesians 2. Today we have things that are out there. Things that you can hear or things that you can read that say you have to have more faith in God or God won't bless you. Gospel doctrine anchors you in the midst of all of that. And no matter what these windy, stormy conditions might be, all of them offer you an alternative to the long haul clinging to the gospel doctrine approach to maturity. Every one of us knows in here, any any of us in here who have lived enough life know that maturity comes over time and time and time. Maturity is not a fast road. It's a slow road. And the gospel taking greater root in the life of a church is to foster that long-haul mentality toward maturity. Gospel doctrine stabilizes us in, the, in these sorts of ways so that we would grow and be protected for the things that would want to stunt our growth. But that's not it. <clears throat> that's not all, excuse me. Gospel culture of a church matters also. So those are the gospel doctrine are the things that we believe. And the gospel culture is how we go about living out the things that we believe. How do we do that? And that's where we get some good instructions here in verse 15. Gospel culture helps us grow. Look again at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him. Who is the head into Christ. And we are to grow up, but we are to be a culture where people can grow up. And that kind of culture is one that is sincere in love. I know we've heard that expression, speaking the truth in love, and we may have applied it in odd ways. But let's take a moment to think it through together in the context of the church. We want to see greater sincerity in the life and culture of a church. And we want to know that life and culture of the church is one that is in love, that is given and for and centered on Christ. And so he turns the imagery from a child to seafaring to then a body. And he calls the... So Paul, first of all, Paul's mixing all the metaphors, and that, he does that all the time. And I just take great relief in that, because I mix metaphors all the time too. And if the Apostle Paul can do it, then you know what? I'm going to do it too. 
that qualifier away. All right. So now he enters, enters us into understanding the church as a body. The body needs gospel nutrition. We all have a diet. Every one of us in here have a diet. It's either a healthy diet or an unhealthy diet. Your regular visit to your doctor will reveal as much. Verses 15 and 16 sees the church as a body, the body of Christ, with Christ as the head of the body. Moving into this imagery, with the focus on growth, it helps us to think through what a body needs to grow healthily. So what does your body need to to be healthy and to grow healthily? Well, you need a good diet, you need exercise, you need sleep, you need healthy habits, you need to avoid bad habits. And verse 14 that we just looked at is warning us of junk food and, and bad habits and how they stunt our harm growth. But then verse 15 brings in some healthy habits. We are called to the healthy habit of speaking the truth in love. That's what the word rather is there for. It's, it's, it's getting our attention to say, not this. Don't go to McDonald's at 10.30 p.m. No, go to sleep at 10.30 p.m. And wake up and have a nice healthy breakfast with lots of coffee because coffee is the Lord's bean. So we're called to this healthy habit of speaking the truth in love. But what is this, speaking the truth in love? Well, first of all, it is a purposeful sincerity in each other's lives. Think about the culture for that. Purposeful sincerity in each other's lives. Speaking truth. Take that part of it. It's an expression that conveys intentional communication that holds up and holds out the truth of the gospel and how it applies to our lives. Keeping the imagery of, a, of, a, of a, somebody younger needing instructions and, and care and encouragement and mentorship as that person grows. Think of the intentional kind of communication a father or mother would have with their teenage son or daughter, helping them to navigate the ever-increasingly complicated world that they're entering in. Or think of the kind of communication a mentor would have with a mentee who's learning, for the first time maybe, the ropes of a new responsibility or development. What kind of communication would mark those healthy relationships Well, careful listening followed up with intentional speaking that presses in the things that are true because there is a a deep love and a deep care and a deep respect embedded in that relationship. It's the kind of communication that is to occur in a gospel culture church. Think about that teenager. If that teenager was constantly belittled or shamed or beaten down by words because they're struggling to make sense of the world, are they going to grow up with any sort of confidence? No. Culture matters. Culture matters. And the culture in the church matters for those of us who are still struggling in our faith. 
still struggling to make sense of it, still struggling it to apply it to our lives, no matter how old we are. So a culture that is belittling and shaming and beating down isn't going to produce growth. Quite the opposite. It's going to stunt it altogether. That isn't a healthy church. Rather, we are to be the kind of place that conveys intentional, caring communication because of the love and care and respect built into this relationship belonging together in the same body. Now, that being said, sometimes it's hard to do because hard things sometimes need to be said. Right? Let's go back to that teenager. Sometimes it's hard to speak truth and love to the teenager who's exhibiting an ever-increasing amount of immaturity. Parents who've walked through those teenage years as parents, because, you know, you weren't that way when you were a teenager, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know how hard that can be. Or on the other side of it, sometimes it's hard to hear truth as love when it exposes us to greater vulnerability. Like we may want it, but it also puts us in that risky environment. We're vulnerable now. So what kind of culture is going to catch our vulnerability? The immediate imagery of children helps us understand this simply not as a a green light to go about telling everybody what they're doing wrong or doing incorrectly, but actually to see this as a very, very delicate and important and vital aspect of the church. Where we are committed to an intentional, sincere kind of culture where someone could actually grow up healthily in the Lord. To come in green, confused and overwhelmed. To be welcomed in, loved on, listened to, and carefully guided along the way to grow up in the faith. That is what Paul is getting at. Believing these things about the gospel is to show up and living this out in such a way that people could actually grow up in their faith. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. Now, we do have some obstacles to that kind of culture. These are obstacles that are real, and they're, they're in different measure for each of us. One of the obstacles to gospel culture that helps us grow is a lack of availability. A lack of availability that we just get into such busyness in our lives. Certainly, some stages of life are more busy than others. We can all understand and relate to that. But busyness can dominate our lives in such a way that we just don't have the availability to actually be a part of an intentional communication in which we are nurturing along each other to grow up. So we lack the availability. If you're a sports fan of any kind, the best ability is often availability. So that's one of the obstacles. That obstacle may be different for all of us in this room at differing degrees, but that is an obstacle. A second obstacle is not only a lack of availability, but sometimes a lack of attention. That we don't notice each other enough. 
that we don't see each other enough. One of the ways this can happen in a church, an established church, is that there are certain people that we are, cons- that we are close to naturally. And, and those are great relationships. They're deep and they've been lifelong and that's fantastic. But we sometimes don't see beyond them or outside of them. And there's a whole world of other people all around us, some of which this may be their closest contact to those who are following Jesus that they experience in their entire week. And so our obstacles to varying degrees could be a lack of attention. And then thirdly, another one, and hopefully not one that is true in deep measure here, but is a lack of affection. That there isn't a care or a motivation in our hearts to build the kind of culture where somebody could actually grow up in the faith. That we lack the affection for such environment. Whether it's availability, attention, or affection, those obstacles can stunt the growth of the church in its health. In its health. Certainly can impact the growth of the church in its numbers, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about its health. In which what we're believing is shaping how we're living that out. Paul cares about this and he's wanting them to see this. And that's why I wanted to slow down and zoom in on this opening paragraph of chapter 4. Gospel doctrine stabilizes our faith. We need it desperately. Gospel culture helps us grow. And as that happens, gospel growth displays a healthy church. Look at the last verse for us. Verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What a picture. What a picture. It's a steady, healthy lifestyle of a church. It's where we see gospel diet and exercise leading to gospel health. Now let's go back to that doctor visit I referred to earlier. They, blow, they draw your blood to investigate it, don't they? They make you do a stress test. They ask you a bunch of questions. They're invasive with those questions, aren't they? How dare you, sir? Yeah. They get all up into your business. Why? Because they want to make sure you're healthy. Right? They want to make sure you're healthy. All those tests and all those checkups, they will display your health status. And so the way that our church functions, the way that our church desires to be together and to worship our Lord and to encourage one another, they're all, they're all, check, they're all the checkups. They're displaying our health, our lack thereof. And gospel doctrine will tell us what our diet should be. And gospel culture will help us work that out in our exercise. But both of them are going to reveal to us our health. And what we need to realize, first and foremost, is that what Paul is saying here in our passage is that Christ is the source of our nourishment. Christ is the source of our stick-togetherness. If we want to go on with a healthy lifestyle as a church, then Christ is our source. Working properly with keeping Christ the main thing helps make the body grow. And our stick-togetherness to Christ keeps us on a healthy exercise program. Healthy 
church is nourished by Christ and works out for Christ, caring for one another and others. This is the picture that Paul is pressing in for the Ephesian churches. This is what gospel health looks like in the life of a church. And this is the kind of growth that takes shape over time. And this gospel growth is in, can lead to a number of good things. I want to highlight two. First is that this kind of gospel growth is to lead to gratitude in the life of a church. To look around and see a healthy environment where people are growing up in the faith. That they were coming to know Jesus and they're turning their lives over to Jesus. And they're coming to better understand the character and nature of God and how that applies to their lives. As they're stabilized in their faith and as they grow and as they mature. We're not talking about perfection here. We're just talking about healthy, growing faith and trust and hope and transformation in our God. It's to lead to gratitude for God's grace in our church. Because when you look around and you see that happening, when you see healthy gospel growth happening in the life of a church, in the lives of each other, insert name and face, when you see gospel growth Happening in that person, you are seeing the evidence of God's grace at work. And that evidence is to propel your heart to gratitude. I love the corresponding passage in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Chapter 2, verse 19 says something kind of similar to what he says here in chapter 4. But there's a little phrase at the very end I want you to see and hear. So Colossians 2.19 From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, sounds very similar, grows with a growth that is from God. To see that growth happening in a church means God is very present and working. His grace is on display. It's to propel us to worship. Be grateful, not proud. God is at work in you. Be encouraged. Cling ever so more. Because God is clinging to you. Should lead to a grateful heart. And that kind of gospel growth is also not only lead to gratitude, but it leads to a determination to keep going. Don't quit. Don't bail. No matter how difficult life may be, no matter how your circumstances may ebb and flow, no matter the winds and the waves, you have a sure anchor. And God is at work. And lives are being changed. And the gospel is being held out. And God is getting glory. So hold on. Hold on. Paul will pick up these thoughts again later in his chapter, in verse 25. He, he starts to zero in on some special focus on how it shapes the church. And in verse 25, he says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Keep working at creating the kind of culture where someone can grow up in the faith. We're to keep at it. But also know, as we see gospel growth happening in our lives and in the life of our church, we're going to be encouraged to want more. To want more. To want to see more in our lives. To want to see more lives 
in our church, to see our church grow in greater health. Because as we grow in this health, Jesus becomes greater and sweeter and more amazing to us. He gets bigger and better as we grow from our perception. He hasn't changed. He's just that great and glorious. We're just seeing him with maturing eyes, deepening faith, with wonder and worship. Gospel doctrine stabilizes our faith. It gives us a healthy diet. Gospel culture helps us grow up. It exercises gospel habits. And when gospel doctrine and gospel culture find a home in a church, it brings about gospel growth. And it puts it on display. May this be our story here at Trinity. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we certainly ask that you would do this good work in us and through us. God, would you be so pleased to be at work in us? Help us be intentional with our time and our energy and our efforts so that we would have availability to care for one another, encourage one another, be sincere in love with one another. God, help us to have eyes that are attentive to each other, to care for one another, to have hearts stirred for one another have affections for each other, that we would together go on to see how great this Jesus is. Help us to be a place, a church, a family, where people can actually grow up in the faith. Not beaten down, not pressured, but to run the risk of vulnerability and to find grace in that place. God, would you do that? Would you help us to... to to see this and, and embrace it and to live it to your glory, to our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.